All right. I'm Big John, and this is going to be the second episode of Unveiled. We're going to be going over biblical anthropology. I'm going to go ahead and hit that uh, hit that intro, and we'll get started. Seem like we're having a little bit of uh, <clears throat> internet trouble, so I hope that that doesn't tend to be a problem. Comment line is open. The uh, live stream is going on both YouTube and Facebook. So if you have questions or something that you want us to answer, my pastor absolutely adores answering questions on the fly that he's not been prepared for. So I want you to go ahead and take the time to ask him all the difficult Bible questions you have concerning man and the doctrine of man. All right. That might not have been a true statement. Preparing that publicly. Yeah, that was not a true statement. A, so uh, we're going to continue our conversation on biblical anthropology, which is the, the doctrine of man. Uh, we had a little bit of conversation leading into the podcast where we're just talking about uh, some things that we, we hope to cover as well as some things that we haven't covered. Uh, when we started this this project, Unveiled Project, Austin and myself, we we talked about uh, the fact that this these things matter. Theology matters. Knowing God matters. And there wasn't any, there wasn't seem to be any Pentecostal people that we could just call up on the internet and find good biblical references on things like hypostatic union, things about you know, whether it's uh, transubstantiation or consubstantiation, other other issues that seem to plague other other uh, other believers, you can find all manner of resources from reform, reformed theologians out there, but no uh, no Pentecostals. Is that fair, Brother Austin? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And uh, one of the things that we've we've had to uh, cope with is: does this stuff even matter? And I, I sort of prompted Pastor Johnny a little bit that I was going to ask this question just before we went on, uh, because I'm not a—I mean, I, I'm a minister, but I'm not a pastor. Brother Austin is not a pastor. We we work in in churches. We work under pastors. And we work with pastors, but we're not uh, those who sit week in week out in sessions and counseling sessions and things like that. So if you're comfortable answering it without having any kind of feedback. Pastor Johnny, what is your opinion on whether or not these kinds of things matter? Uh, you know, for the longest time, Big John, I said, I I don't see where certain things matter, so why do we spend any time working on it? But the truth of it is, it does matter according to your relationship um, uh, with everything. So just to put it in a perspective that almost anybody can understand is the perspective of a relationship. Um, whenever you're first into a relationship, it doesn't really matter whether or not um, the other person is allergic to peanuts. You don't really think about that kind of thing. And what, what does that matter? Um, right now we're just getting to know each other, but as the relationship grows, it matters whether or not they're allergic to peanuts because depending on um, what kind of oils things are cooked in, you're going to take, 
that significant person that you're building a relationship with to eat or anything, and uh, you can flat ruin the relationship because you didn't know something. Uh, the same way with Christ. The deeper we grow with the relationship of Christ, the more that we'll uh, want to get deeper into his word and understand what it is that uh, we believe, understand what it is that is set before us in, in the Bible and uh, knowing what things are talking about. Why does this story matter? What does this matter? Some of the topics that we're going over, um, some would say don't really matter. Well, it just depends on your relationship and where you stand with Christ and whether or not it'll matter to you, which I think that, the more you grow, the more things do matter, the more you want to be involved in it. Yeah. I agree. I agree. We, we, we pick around and ask a redundant question. Can you know God too much? Can you ever, can you ever love God too much? Can you, one of the things that has helped me out as a, as a, a believer is the more I come to know God in his word, the easier it is for me to love God. And that sounds kind of stupid that you'd say it that way. But there's times, times get hard and it's easy for me to find fault with everybody. Right. And I think to know God is how Job was able to say, God blesses and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. Whenever things don't go right. And uh, in any case, it's just as an example, brother Austin, you want to speak to that before we start into the questions? Yeah, just, just a little bit. I think Pastor Johnny hit it right on the head because it, it reminds me of that contemporary Christian song we sang here a couple of years ago. The more I seek you, the more I find you, the more I find you, the more I love you. Because I found myself right before we, me and you started this 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 series of this podcast, we, we would talk. Um, we'd have so much. It, it stemmed out of all the conversations that we would have. But before all those conversations started, I remember you, you would talk to me about some of these things, uh, some of these theological things and doctrinal things and deep spiritual uh, things uh, to to find in the word. And and and, and you can speak to this because I told you straight up, I was like, man, I just don't I want to get in. I just don't you know, I'm not worried about that, you know, because I don't I don't understand it. But the thing it made me do is and, and I, you know, begin reading this passage of scripture right here and then I say, huh. And then I go back here to the Old Testament and see the cross reference. And then I go a little bit further back and then it brings me back over here. Next thing you know, I'm in a deep biblical study unlocking so much from God's uh, scripture and his words to us because it all started with an idea of what's the truth of this specific thing right here. And then you begin to just study and then it just opens up your mind so much. It's just like Pastor Johnny said. I mean, if you're a new believer absolutely stick to the basics i mean stick to the milk that is is nourishment that's getting you where you need to go but there comes a point in time where you need to get to something meaty something weighty you need to get something heavier and it's not necessarily for the sake of knowing it because of academics to be able to put a plaque on your wall to say i'm an expert in you know any of the ologies out there but it's to say I know this a little bit deeper and can have this perspective and, and I want to unlock the truth behind what's going on here. And I want to be able to see God with a clear vision with a better lens. So that's why, that's why I think it's important. Yeah, that's good. 
Well, with that, we're going to get into biblical anthropology. <laughs> so this is the doctrine of man. Uh, we started this with uh, talking about the doctrine of Christ. And it's a natural, for me, it seems like a natural way to flow into uh, Christianity. You got to know who Jesus is first, then understand who we are. It's easier to see the gap between where we are and who he is. And if he is the standard, if he is the perfection that is that allows salvation, and then we find out where we are, we'll see that we're not at that standard and that we need a Savior. But in order to do that, man first got to be humbled a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. We first need to understand that God is good and we are not. So one of the things that God says early in the beginning, I mean like chapter 2 of Genesis, God makes everything. And uh, let's see, uh, it is the Lord says in Genesis uh, chapter two, verse eighteen. The Lord said, "It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him." And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the sky, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took out one, and he took one of the ribs, and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord fashioned a woman, and woman. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which had been taken from the man, and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. So very early on, we see that, that God didn't make man to be alone. I think that's I think that's an important attribute and a distinction about man that we need to discuss. So one thing that we in the church are, are known for and should be known for is our defense of biblical marriage. Right? Mm -hmm. So the first question that we talked about, we would discuss this week would be, why is it that in anthropology, we would discuss defending biblical marriage. Notice I did not call traditional marriage. I called it biblical marriage. Tradition simply means something been done a long time. There's been a lot of things that are traditional that ain't really got nothing to do with the price of eggs in China. This is what God says marriage is supposed to be, right? So, Brother Austin, do you want to tackle that? Yeah. Um, I, I, it's funny that you went ahead and uh, fleshed out that scripture because that's <laughs> that was part of my notes right here was Genesis 2.18 and then verse 24. But um, I think when you look in verse 24 of Genesis 2, where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's, it's this beautiful union that takes place that's not only for our benefit and our spouse's benefit, but it's this beautiful depiction of Christ and the church. It's, it's this representation of what our relationship to Christ looks like. Ephesians 5 25 to 27 says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Somebody told me something, or it was it was actually I heard it uh, on a, on a podcast that I listen to very frequently. Somebody said that marriage is a beautiful when done right, sanctifying thing. And if you have a marriage that's built on Christ in, in this way that it's, it's supposed to be, I think it can be a great sanctifying thing for us spiritually. It can cause us to be better. Speaking to us as men, it can cause us to be better men. It can cause us to be more accountable. It can cause us to go deeper into the things of God because we realize the responsibility we carry that we will stand before God for our, our, our family and, and the direction our family goes. And so I think uh, one of the words, I, I, again, I think of just to sum it all up is just sanctification. I, I think marriage, when done right, can bring about sanctification in a way. That's good. Pastor Jay, you want to you wanna dovetail anything on that? Sure. Um Thinking about the whole, the biblical side of marriage. Um, first of all, we all know as men that are all three of us married <laughs> that, uh, you know what, to be separate from that wife um, ain't good. <laughs> I mean, she she wants us. Women are uh, a lot more needy sometimes than men. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I said it, uh, um, and and sometimes um, I also locked himself in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> like I ain't getting. I'm out in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark ten and nine says, "Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate." Uh, the Bible makes it clear that marriage is intended to be a unbreakable bond. It's important to remember, um, especially during the tough times, that marriage is a it's a biblical bedrock um, yeah. that should be respected and uh, reverent by both people. Um, at the same hand, as well as us to be, you know, when when you look at the spiritual aspects of marriage and, uh, and things, I I love I love doing pre-marriage counseling. Um, like nobody really likes to do marriage. I say that's the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah, I mean, pre-marriage counseling is good stuff, but um, it's it's just sharing, trying to to go ahead and get people who are planning to get married to have some understanding things and uh, and things like pre-marriage counseling is good. Nobody wants to do marriage counseling though. Um, if you do, uh, if you enjoy dealing with uh, broken people, uh, it, it can be a little bit confusing, but. Um, but on the biblical standpoint, um, Ecclesiastes tells us in 4 and 9 through 12 that two are better than one because they have a good reward for, for their efforts. Um, I'll just stop right there at 9. They've got a good reward for their efforts. Um, in spiritual maturity, I've often seen that if you really want to see a spiritually sound household. You find a household where 
that man and that whim, woman, that man and them women, that man mm. and that woman serve God together. Yeah. And they they are in it to win it. They they all that they've got, they're serving God together. And um man at the marriage and how wonderful it looks. And it's it's a biblical marriage. It's an exciting marriage. You can watch them grow. You can see the smiles on their faces. Um, but anyway, I, I'm getting a little bit off track there. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, well, I'm, I'm, all right, so all that being true, is that the reason we're so adamant about defending biblical marriage? Just because it's a good thing. I ask it this way because there are people out there that are married that aren't Christian, right? Yeah. And even even if they have a good marriage, the man, if he's not a Christian, he's he's not given himself to his wife as Christ as a church. He has no example to go by. Right. Right. He's not. Even if he loves his wife as best as he can possibly love his wife, that's not going to save a soul either. If she can submit to his authority inside the home, according to Ephesians 5, but he's not submitting his uh, life under the Lord, then she's submitting her her ways under somebody who's out of line. Uh, it's a funny thing. Uh, this morning, one of the devotions that I was reading was uh, talking about the man... Um, the importance of when, whenever a man is not right and the woman is, and it talked about when the woman is right and the man isn't, and uh, submission and things, and how um, you can't can't necessarily save that other one. Um, and I'm looking for it right now, but I am not well, finding I, the scripture that was backing up what it was talking about. But go well, ahead. If you find it, if you find it, I want you to bring it up. So while you're searching for it, the the thing is, the, the marriage covenant that we celebrate with our individual spouses every day is a earthly representation of Christ and His church. Right? He's the bridegroom. The church is the bride. We're to, we're to submit to Him. He's the head of the church. He keeps everything. He upholds everything. He's God, and there is no other. Right? So we submit to Him. And in our homes, the bride submits to the groom. And, and in our case, we submit ourselves to the Lord. So there's a there's a, a picture. There's a picture of the gospel in our lives, in our households. When I think about Israel on the earth, the, the book of Hebrews says that they were given, they were first given the oracles of God. And yet they weren't seeing the world saved. The church, given the truth of the gospel, is seeing the world saved. It's a massive difference, and in and in our in our covenant marriage that we observe, that's a picture of the relationship Christ and the church has. That's one reason I say we defend biblical marriage, is because if we pervert that view, then we're bringing shame and reproach on the Lord, and we're not being successful in showing the gospel and showing the love of Christ on this earth with the office that he's given us and allowed us to have. I think, uh, I think another interesting aspect to look at in, in looking at the correlation between Christ and the church 
and then us in marriage is just the illustration of just the commitment there of when we are, when we come to the saving knowledge of Christ and accept him, it's kind of like the marriage ceremony. And when we get baptized, it's like putting on this wedding ring to say, this is a, this is a covenant that I'm making not to divorce from it and not to fall short in it, but to give it my best shot. It's not to say that we won't fall short in it, obviously just like our marriages. Cause I'll be the first to say I do it many times to my shame. And, um, but I, I think, I think it's just this, I think it's this beautiful commitment that we have. And, and again, it's just, there's so many illustrations that when you look at Christ in the church, we can apply to our marriage to, continue to as i said earlier just sanctify us as people and make us better believers better husbands better wives you know better parents so many things i think that a lot of people if they really served christ as if they're doing their best um how do i word that if their relationship with christ is like it is with their wife they would be a lot better off um with christ but i think that a lot of them serve their spouse more than they serve christ and they actually treat christ a lot like he's a dirty little secret in a closet somewhere mm-hmm. that they never never plan on having a real relationship with him it's always just for the excitement and the fun um i think that whenever we serve god like like we should a biblical like a biblical marriage would be put together of, uh, hey, this is the love of my life. Um, I've said that oftentimes I think that um, some people in their marriage, they get it mixed up whenever they have children. They begin to love their children more than they do their spouse. Um, They begin to love their children and what their children do more than they love God. You'll see them pull away from church because they've only got a certain amount of time to uh to to spend with their child is what their excuse will be you know i you know, my my kids come first and and you know i'll we'll we'll get back to things later but then they also throw up that whole scripture of train up a child in the way it should go yeah if you haven't trained it up you can't use the scripture and yeah. if you yeah. haven't you haven't applied the relationship right and you haven't shown them the way i believe that um, a lot of times you'll see a pattern in families. Um, if there was divorced parents, a lot of times there's a pattern with divorced children. And, uh, and that comes because of the training that we've got. Um, whenever you take God out of anything, it's no good. It just, it just becomes what it is. It's no good. And I think that whenever we really worship God like we should, we have a relationship that is unlike any other and the marriage becomes so binding between us and God to where we don't want to displease him because we don't want him to disown us. Uh, we're the one in the relationship that messes up, but at the same hand, we want to keep that, that bind there, that um, relationship strong. And I think that a lot of times we don't do that because we get so sidetracked. Yeah. But, that's a good segue. If, if you don't have anything to add to that, Austin, I'm going to go to the next question. Go ahead. I'm good. So the next question we sent to study was a short one. Is man good? And you just kind of 
spoke to that pastor by saying that we're the ones in a relationship that aren't good. Right. You want to, uh, how do I word this? Do you want to expound on if man is good and if man is good, how, and if man is not good, how is he not good? I, I say that man is not good. Um, I, I know that there's a, you can say God made man and man is good, but we have corrupted it. Um, men have corrupted what God made. And uh, so whenever you ask me, is man good? I, I say, no, there's a, there's a common belief today that people are born good and um, people remain basically good at their heart, their whole lives. And uh, um, you know, truth of it is is that just because you ain't thinking about killing or those kind of things and um you you it's a it's unbiblical view of human nature to think that we're all just born great babies are precious i love them um now i i wouldn't trade myself to be in austin's shoes right now Thanks, God, mine are already using the bathroom on their own. <laughs> but, uh, but, but on the other hand, they're precious. And we know that, that Judah is, is special and, and currently he does no wrong. But there's going to come a time whenever he may disappoint you. Uh, that's just, just how it is now. He may not disappoint Papa, and, and <laughs> he, there's others in his life that he'll never do no wrong, and he's perfect. But <laughs> truthfully, whenever he starts to become a man, um, there's things that's going. It's the sinful nature of man. Uh, it started in the very beginning. Um, we inherited this sinful nature from Adam. And, uh, and unless we are born again of the Spirit of Come God, we will never see the kingdom of God, according to John 3 and 3. We have to know that we have to uh, be born again. And whenever we're born this second time, that takes care of the fact that, you know, we all that sin to be forgiven. Psalms 14 and uh, 2 uh, through three encounters the idea that uh, that everyone is good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there is any who uh, understand and any who seek God. And all have turned away and all have become corrupt. And there's one who who does good. Is there is there anyone who does good? Not even one. Add add this to Jesus' statement that no one is good except God alone in Luke 18 and 19. And we see that we all stand guilty before God. And, right. uh, and, and to think about that breaks my heart because there's so many people who have a mindset of, well, I don't do this or I don't do that. or And we can think of those things to plug in the blanks, right? So yeah. you can talk about all the things that somebody don't do, and maybe they are good people, but are they good? Yeah. Without Christ, nothing's good. So... My answer is no, Big John. Man, I tell you, I like it. That's a, that's a solid, I think that's a solid stance backed up with enough scripture. There's And there's piles of scripture that would go along exactly with that, that would, that would say vehemently man is not good. 
Uh, Jesus comes at it with the intent. Well, I'm going to let Austin go for it. Go, Austin. Go, Austin. Well, go. he's talking about many scriptures that talk about man is not good because I'm also on the side of man is not good. Let's dive into some of those scriptures. I got a couple <laughs> of verses here. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'm reading the English Standard Version. Psalms 51, 5. Behold, this is David. Uh, I think it was David speaking. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Ecclesiastes 7, 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good, never sins. And then Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is all throughout scripture. Yep. If man if man was inherently good, there would be no need for the gospel. Amen. There would be no need for the gospel. There'd be no need for, for, for God to make himself manifest as in, in flesh. There would be no purpose in it. But man is... Man's evil from the very beginning. I mean, here's here's one more. James 1, 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we're all, we've all inherited the sin Going mm-hmm. all the way back to the garden. Yeah. And, you know, you said something, Pastor Johnny, talking about Judah. And it, it's funny because me me as, as, as trying to live out devotion towards God as much as possible and try to lead my family so that one day when, when, when he is cognitive, he will know and have the scriptures in him where he can say, Yes, I want to follow Christ with all my heart and love him and serve him. But it's funny because there's also, he's only three months old, going on four, but there's this fear inside of me that sometimes plays with my mind because I realize how wicked this world is. Mm-hmm. And if, I, if, if I'm not careful and if I'm not on guard, this kind of goes back to the biblical marriage, but just, just us as men over our entire household now switching gear towards our children. If we're not careful and we do not make sure that we are intentional about the spiritual life and vitality of our household, then we can lose in the race for our children's soul. And I'm scared to death because, again, there's going to come a point in time where right now I can watch him all the time. If I'm not watching him, my wife's watching him or grandparents was come come point in time which you guys are more in this stage than i am i might have to cut him loose you know i'm gonna have to let him go out in the world i might have to let him get a job or go hang out with his friends or go over to friend's house or do this that and the other and there are certain aspects of that that i can still watch over him but there's going to come a point in time where he has to make his own decisions and again man is inherently evil and and it's a scary thing i mean it really is so going I want back. Can I go ahead? Yeah. In just one little bit. Thinking yeah. about thinking about him and an innocent baby being a sinner. <laughs> That's a oh pastor. We don't want to hear that mess. But but the Bible indicates that even children possess a sinful nature, right? Yeah. Um. At, at, 
if our sinful nature is inherited from Adam, then then babies already possess that <laughs> bent to sin. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, is what Proverbs twenty two uh, fifteen says. But people people just can't can't be born good because every one of us has been affected by Adam's sin. There's no exceptions. Romans 5 and 18 says that one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. So therefore, uh, we're all sinners for two reasons. Um, We actively have sinned sometimes in our life up to that point of being born again. And and, uh, then there's sinners who continue to practice their sin. Um, daily knowing that they're sinning and who haven't given their life to Christ. But um, but we all fall into that spot at one point or another. And uh, we bear the sinful character that's passed down from Adam. That's why we face physical death also. Anyway, uh, that's, that's great. No, that's great. What y'all are doing, mm-hmm. see, here's what's, so, here's what's so important about what you're doing. Uh, as I'm listening, I'm listening to two people who are Pentecostal, Right. What y'all are talking about is actually something that unifies all true believers, and that's the depravity of man. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't have to teach children to lie or steal or to be or to be uh, or to be hateful. They're born knowing how to do that. You have to teach them not to be that way. Right. And that's why this kind of thing matters to some degree is because we all understand. Jesus says that as dads that we're sinful or that he says you men being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more so does your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask is the, is the text that I'm quoting from. But the, the idea that we come to this point with preconceived notions about who we are, whether we realize it or not. And whenever we're dealing with theology, we're dealing with people, when we're dealing with doctrine, we're dealing with the church. We're bringing these preconceived ideas with us when we read, when we study, whenever we talk to people. But if folks don't have that, and they don't have that preconception whenever you're giving them advice, if they think I'm really just a good person and my child is really just a good person, the problem isn't the child, the problem is the society, or the problem is the circumstance, then the 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 counsel that you give is wrong. The gospel that you're sharing doesn't have the same impact because you don't look at that person as needing saving. You just look at the situation as needing saving or redeeming. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's important that we discuss topics like this. Why, why in the world do we need God? We need God because we're wicked. Because we're wicked. And, and we can we can jazz it up all we want to, but if we weren't wicked... The king of glory wouldn't have stepped down and took on that cross. Right. Would have been no need for it. Can I add something right here? You always. You know, some, something something that was just revealed to me that I thought was interesting is, you know, Pastor Johnny was talking earlier about how people say, you know, people say, well, I'm, I'm good. And, and, and the good and our good in comparison with his good. Here's, here's, here's the funny part. Galatians. Five, starting at 22 says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit 
You know what the funny thing is? How can somebody behave in accordance with the fruits of the Spirit if they do not have the Spirit, if they do not have the Spirit of God living in them? And so to say that, what I'm trying to say is when people say, well, well, he's good. He, you know, he loves his wife or that guy's good or he, that woman's good because she's faithful to her husband or that person's good because they have self-control. How can you really have the righteousness and, and these fruits of the spirit unless you have been changed by the spirit and given this ability to walk in accordance with these spiritual gifts? If that makes sense. It does. So, so, so really our, our, our good, our love, our faithfulness, our self-control, all these things are really just a farce because it's its not truly coming from the Spirit, and we're not walking in step with the Spirit, and it's all a facade. That's right. Or, or at best, it's a... It's a uh... It's it's fabrication. It's fake. It's it's uh oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, looking for it's, well, it's self. It's it's there's a selfish counterfeit. It, and if, I mean, if you read in scripture, I cannot remember the exact uh, scripture or where it's at, but it, it talks. I, I want to say it's in James where it talks about where there is uh, selfish ambition or selfish. Amb- it talk it calls selfish ambition demonic. Think about that. Self. I mean, it, it calls it demonic, and so. We can say we're full of love, faithfulness, all these things, or the people of the world can rather. But if they're not truly in the in the um, the, the people of God and, and been changed by the Holy Spirit, then really it's just selfish ambition, and it's just a demonic counterfeit that's really being uh, portrayed. Really, I'm, I'm working on something. That's why you hear me clicking. Clicking away, what's that, right? What's that clicking noise? He's clicking. Um, Philippians. There you go, Austin. Three says, "Do nothing out of self-ambition or vain content. Mm-hmm. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others." Paul goes on to instruct the Philippians to have the same mindset as Jesus when relating to others. And he uh, details just how humble Jesus was. James 3.16 is up there. Trying to think of what. Yeah, because uh, my the, the uh, English Standard Version says James 3.15 and 16. uh Let's go back to 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Yep. See, there's, you know, Jeremiah's the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all. Jesus says that man is evil, you know, by his nature. Uh, there's none good, no, not one. We're all together unclean. Our righteousness, even the righteousness that we think we have, is just filthy rags, soiled garments that we try to use to buy off the judge. I th- again, you can, you can. There's so much scripture that points to the depravity of man that it seems silly that it's something we would need that we would still need to remind people of. But what it boils down to is idolatry to the sense that. Well, you might be wicked, but I, I'm not really wicked, right? 
how many people know somebody that's wicked, but we ourselves, we know our situation. And how many times have you heard this from your position, Pastor Johnny? God knows my heart. Yeah, I can't stand that statement. I can't stand that statement. <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he knows mine too, and he knows I want to hurt somebody yeah. who says something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, come, on. come on now. All yeah, right. Uh, I want to, I want to move on. We're doing a good job and I don't want to fall behind. Uh, we discussed why man is not good and how can man be made whole? I use that word whole instead of how can man be made right or how can man be fixed or because I think that there's a, there's a point in which we seem to think that justification is the end all of our relationship with God. If I'm being fair, right? And then there's confusion about sanctification as being the same thing as justification. And we, we start to say, well, you know, such and such guy's life back on track. He's not drinking anymore. He quit sleeping around on his wife and beating his kids, you know, stupid stuff like that. You hear those kinds of statements. So for the sake of, for the sake of time and for the sake of argument, justification is one thing sanctification is another would one of you like to dis- to define justification or do you want to go for this from a different way do you want to go from this from a totally different way how how, how can man be made whole take it away somebody <laughs> well um i think about the passage of scripture in ecclesiastes that says God is that God has implanted. I can't even say it. God has planted eternity in the hearts of men. I think to be whole, obviously, from from the sinner the or the that point of view, you have to come to God. You have to come to Christ. I know that if you continue on, we read earlier Romans three twenty three. It says, "For all have sinned and fall short of glory of God." continue on it says and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show god's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus i think um when I when I read when I read that I think I kind of went from it from the angle of sanctification. I'll be honest. When I seen how can man be made whole, I was trying to think. I was trying to wrap my mind around the question a little bit because I, I think I was thinking in those terms of um, becoming more and more in Christ's image or becoming. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's kind of the direction I took it a little bit. All right. Well, let me let me let me put an edge on it then, and uh, and explain kind of more the the thought process I had in asking the question, and maybe that'll help with the answer. Is that fair? Yep. So we've talked about everything we've talked about, whether we realize it or not. We've went straight to Genesis, and we've captured it from the beginning and carried it on to the situation where we're at now. Everything from who man is to marriage to uh, his goodness or, or man's uh, and man's. De- depravity has all come all the way from from the garden if you haven't realized that yet right we've used the harmony of the entire book of scripture to pull this picture together 
Genesis 3 and 22, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. But now he might stretch out his hand and take also the tree of life, eat and live forever. Now this is post, post fall. This is after man has uh, sinned in God's eyes or sinned period. And God is running man from the garden and posting a guard at the door so they can't come back so that they can't eat of the tree of life and live forever. One might would ask, well, why would he? Because God told them they were going to die when they ate this fruit, right? And now he's keeping them from life. But I believe all the way to my core that this is a favor God did for Adam and Eve. Because had they eat of this tree of life, they would live forever in an unredeemable state, much like the angels. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So simply saying that you'll have eternal life is not the whole that I'm talking about. Because we're going to live forever somewhere, right? So you're going to heaven or we're going to hell, but it's going to be eternity. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. Come so, on. So the point I'm getting to is eternal life in Christ and being whole, and not just in the world to come, but in the world today. How can we be made completely whole? First, justified, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, endued with power from on high. What we use the words that 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 are put in your soul for this example. And if you were giving advice to Judah today and say, son, this is my last words. I can give you everything that you need to know about God is filling in. So, go, go ahead. You want to go ahead, Pastor? Nope. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to say, so would it be fair to say then that, the, that the moment that somebody becomes whole is the moment that they, they understand not that they have eternal life but they understand their eternity and when i say that and when I, the way that i say that would it be okay to say that maybe once you realize that not only you have a life to come but eternity don't start when you die it, it starts now and so it it is there was a man by the name of Jerry Bridges, right? And it's, it says sanctification, but let's look aside from sanctification. Let's look on the other side here. It says sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, whereby our inner being is progressively changed, freeing us more and more from sinful traits and developing within us over time the virtues of Christ-like character. So would it be more fair to say that when you come to Christ and you are justified, by by grace through faith not by works not only do you have you realize that you will live for an eternity with christ but that that should change how we live now in every aspect of our life that we're not living in a finite mindset even though we are but that we should begin to change into living our eternity now becoming more and more like Christ. Would that be fair? To, does that make sense? Would that be fair I to say? I think so. Go ahead, Pastor Jay. Um, whenever I thought of the question in, in general, um, you, you you memorize scripture, whatever scri version that you've memorized. Um, 
whenever I thought about being made whole, I thought about a story. You know, I, I love stories. Yeah. And uh, so John chapter five and one um, is where this story starts and it ends at verse 15. I think about um, there's a there's a festival that's taking place and Jesus is there and and he stops by this uh, pool called Bethesda. And and in that story, Jesus says, you're made whole in, yeah. in one version. Um current version that i have pulled up that is not what it says so i was like oh well maybe um maybe i had my stories mixed up but i check different but so i think about being made whole that way but whenever i think about being made whole what does it take to be made whole um i'm 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 gonna go with the simple version i love it that is you can be made whole by your faith in god um you have to have faith in god to be made whole once you have faith in god you can be made whole. Um, that's a that's a very simple put, um, but I believe that that's what makes us whole. Because yep. without God, we're lacking. Without God, there's a void and something is missing. But in order to really become who we're called to be, in order to become whole, we have to have faith. We have to have God in our life. We have to have Him, and uh, and that's what makes us whole. In in my Agreed. Agreed. I think that uh, it's almost like a trick question, maybe to some degree, because we get this idea that somehow God can be our savior, but not be our God, not be our master, not be the love of our life. Right. Right. And I've been teaching my Sunday school class. The differences between uh, Israel in the wilderness, living, living with the Lord and Israel as an established kingdom, and especially in the day when Jesus is, is teaching, and, and we've been in John chapter 3, and then the church and how we're to live. And one of the things that Israel did in the wilderness that I think made them successful was that the temple was the center of everything. The temple was the center of their social structures, the center of their family, the center... Everything revolved around the temple, and the temple uh, more or less revolved around the presence of God. And Israel got away from that and sought after kings, and they spread out and they dispersed. And now the temple became a place that you pilgrimed to, and and you did your 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 tour of duty at the temple or whatever. And then the church enters into the world, Christ dwelling in in us, making us the temple. And our life should revolve around Christ and everything in our life. We ought to, we ought to always be thinking about Christ. He should be our first love and it ought to govern every, every area of our life. And I think in order to be whole, it has to be done in order. Uh, you can't, uh, brother Chris Craig used to do a thing. I see him do it at Daystar. I see him do it at a Baptist church. He was speaking at and I always thought it was really neat. He would take a pile of random, seemingly random objects and put them on a table and then put a big jar out in front of it and then put all those objects that he could fit inside that jar, inside that jar. And he said, this is your life. And then there was leftovers. There was He couldn't fit everything inside that jar because the objects were different sizes. 
And if, if you put in the smaller objects first, for instance, he had a, a big pickle jar and then he had a tennis ball, just one tennis ball. And then he had rocks and then he had sand and he had uh, a liquid of some kind, I want to say. And he put the sand in first and he put the rocks in, then he couldn't fit the tennis ball in. It filled everything up. And he put the rocks in, then he couldn't fit the tennis ball in. It filled everything up. And he put the rocks in, then he couldn't fit the tennis ball in. It filled everything up. And he put the rocks in, then he couldn't fit the tennis ball in. It filled everything up. I don't know what's going on, Pastor. I'm going to mute him for the time being. <laughs> so then, in any case, later on, he would take the tennis ball and put it in first. And then he would put in the rocks. The rocks represented family. And then he would put sand in. And then he would shake the jar, and the sand would fill down into all the cracks. And then he would put the the water in. And, and what he wound up doing was he wind up getting everything in the jar if you put the jar in in the right, if you fill the jar up in the right order, and that was whole. So if that's your life and you want your life to be whole, then you have to have it in the right order. Justified in Christ, sold out to Christ, ever more, like Austin was talking about, that sanctification, ever growing in Christ, putting more and more of your life together in Christ and continually putting, putting your family. So when you put your family in Christ, when you put your friends in Christ, whenever you put your life in Christ, you're made whole in Christ. Does that, does that track well with y'all? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we've done something we've never done before. We finished within an hour. 53 minutes and seven seconds. So it's Pentecost Sunday. What kind of Pentecostal stuff are y'all doing today? Has it been a shout? After we got home from church, I tell you something Pentecostal we did today. You took yeah. a nap, didn't you? No, but I sat down on the couch and and wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to uh, recap for a second. Biblical anthropology is the doctrine of man, who man is. Christ, being what what you call Christ in the pre pre show talk, brother Austin. Christ being unique in that he's the hypostatic union. Yes. He's fully God. Hey, he's fully man. $7 word. He takes, he, for the first time in all of time, when Christ ascended, a man went to heaven. You ever thought about that? Those pearly gates had never opened for anybody before. And when Jesus steps up, as the psalmist will say, who is this king of glory? The Lord God Almighty, and the gates opened up for man, and he walked in and forever intercedes for us. Getting sidetracked because I get a little, can't help it. He's a good God, y'all. He's a good God. So it is important that we know who Christ is, and it is important that we know who man is. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. It's easy to love God because he's nothing but good. Loving your neighbor can be tough because he's wicked and he's evil and we're wicked and we're evil and our thoughts are don't always strive with man with, with God's thoughts. Comments, concerns, closing remarks. Yeah, I just want to say one thing in wrapping this up again, biblical marriage, us as men charged to the men being the leaders of your home spiritually realizing as you said our wickedness and 
that we're in need of a savior. And then just the realization that that marriage is, is a perfect illustration of uh, Christ in the church. I wanted to say something. We used to talk about us as the church becoming that temple. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. That's good. Pastor Jay, you want to give any kind of inclination as to what might be happening in September since we're discussing manhood, manliness? Actually, we're going to change that, see if we can accommodate August. The last weekend of August, um, that is... August the 26th is a Saturday. Everybody get your handbooks out. This is the first time on public that it's being put out there. Mm, I'm not put it sure on the if spot. it works with the speakers or not, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. We are looking to hold a men's conference on August the 26th. Um, it'll be a start start that morning of August the 26th. And we will end sometime after lunch. Lunch will be provided. And uh, looking forward to hearing from some great speakers. And uh, we're going to have some, um, I think we're going to have a couple different groups playing some music. And uh, just men coming together. Um, I'm going to throw it out there to bring your boy with you. Um, It's important that we grow some boys into being great men because it is easier to build a boy than it is to mend a man. So therefore we want to uh, be able to pour in and see great things happen. That'll take place at real life community church in iron station, 5467 East highway 27 (laughs) on the frontage road. Come get the facts as best we understand them. (laughs) All right. All that'll take place at the pond. So you can also bring a fishing pole that day pond will be open if you would like to bring a fishing pole or a kayak or anything like that and uh catch some some bass and do a little bass fishing maybe a little bit of cat fishing uh but anyway bring a kayak bring your life raft if you bring one that's right all right fellas i want to tell you i appreciate y'all being on here uh i know that that austin and i have piles and piles of conversations it means a lot to me pastor that you would take time out of what i know is a busy schedule to show up and and to uh and to add wisdom to the conversation no. and if i can say add practical application because austin and i have the benefit of talking about things in the theoretical more than we have to than we have to deal with it in the practical and uh it adds a lot whenever somebody can tell you how they how they use this kind of thing uh i don't know if it helps or hurts from a position of pastoring if people are studying their bible the way that that it gets studied on this kind of scenario, but I can't imagine it hurt. People know people know their Bible. Uh, until next time, we're going to move into a different topic. I want to say uh, it's going to yet to be discussed. Austin and I haven't discussed what the next topic is going to be. And uh, Pastor Johnny, I hope you come back and, and do another one with us. We're going to try to include several other pastors and uh, people who have insight on these things. And uh, maybe we'll have a, a conglomeration. We'll have everybody come on. 
all the people who've guessed it, and then we'll let y'all host it, and, and we'll all grill Austin. We'll yeah. Take, we'll, we'll take a turn about throwing questions at like that. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Don't try to try to calm yourself, Austin. You, you, I know. I'm so excited. I'm going to slap myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to see if the outro will work, and then we're going to close it. Again, I'm Big John. Thank you all for sticking around and listening to it. Until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>